UIONS is sponsored by Bet365 and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello everyone, this is You Irons, the West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney and I'm joined as always by The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. Rashane, what a week it's been. Been a crazy week, Sam. Just typical West Ham, really. Can't have one normal week, can they? No, but we can't, we can't. But, you know, listen, if we supported, you know, Norwich, we'd be bored, wouldn't we? Yeah. You know, this is, this is the part of being a West Ham fan. Uh, is being, you know, embroiled in the circus. Now, just as a, a quick recap, everyone knows, but I guess the drama started when we all, by you know, a complete surprise out of nowhere, really, um, saw that the club had agreed to sell Grady Diangana. Now, when we did our last episode, we were sat here and, and you, you kind of gave me so much encouragement and positivity about how the team might shape up with this yeah. young, dynamic side next season. That I know you made me feel better about the season, Shane. And a, a lot of the listeners got in touch with you on Twitter and said, yeah. oh, I feel so much better. And, and it was only about a day or two after that podcast had gone out that the, 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 one of the key figures in your sort of manifesto, let's call it, for why we should all be hopeful about West Ham this season, had been sold. Now, we're told that this was against the wishes of the manager. We're told that it's um, angered the whole team. We'll get on to that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're told that it was the first offer that we'd received as well. We didn't even negotiate that hard. There's all sorts of rumours flying around. Rashane, yeah. what what can you tell us about this situation? Well, ultimately, Slavin Bilic didn't expect to sign Grady Diangana, and David Moyes didn't expect to sell him. Bilic wanted Diangana to come back. You know, that was, you know, well documented, but he just felt it would have been a lot of, would have taken a lot of the budget to get him back. Whereas mm. Moy stated on numerous occasions last season, he was looking forward to working with Diogana. Obviously, we mentioned in the previous podcast, Diogana playing so well in that game against Ipswich, providing two assists for Sebastian Allaire. Everything looked taken away for him to play left wing the first game against Newcastle. And now this happens. And the thing is, West Ham had hoped to sell uh, Anderson, Felipe Anderson, that is, and Manuel Lanzini, but they were struggling to find takers for them. And especially with, with it being like a depressed market due to the, uh, the coronavirus. It's just going to be hard for them to, you know, get rid of players like that because no one's really going to make a large bid because they've been out of form for such a long time. Mm. And obviously, Diogana didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay. He wanted to fight for his place. After the match, match, he's looking forward to working with the team. <laughs> and then this happens. And fans are frustrated for the simple fact that when Diogana returned, everyone was like, yeah, he was really great at West Brom. We struggled last season in terms of having a, a right fit for the left wing. Four Niles played there, Lanzini played there, Antonio played there, uh, Felipe Anderson played there. We just kept rotating. But in Grady Diagano, you had the player who was just an ideal fit. And as I mentioned, the game against Ipswich was a case in point. Looked so good in that match. And for much of the summer, West Ham had anticipated selling Declan Rice. 
that was what everyone was thinking. He's going to be the likely person to leave. And ultimately, with money being so tight for West Ham, they had to sacrifice, make a sacrifice and selling Grady to Ghana in order to find defensive additions. And then within a week, the deal was done. And now we're here talking about it, pal. Right now, we're offering listeners the opportunity to try out The Athletic for free. You can enjoy all of our writing on West Ham, including Rashane's recent piece on just how much the Dan Garner sale has hurt the club. Just go to theathletic.com slash West Ham pod to sign up for a 30-day free trial. That's theathletic.com slash West Ham pod. The reaction from West Ham fans has been immense. I suppose there's two things. There's, a, like, there's the team, as you've just described. Yeah, we needed a, a, a left winger. Um, he had a good season at West Brom and it would have made sense. However, you know, it is true that West Ham are probably overstocked in wingers and attacking midfielders. It's the one area we haven't got to worry, you know, in terms of the numbers. But we were all hoping, and it was just hope, because let's remember, Grady did all right in a few games for us, season four last in the Prem. And then he did, I would say, very well for West Brom, right? But... Uh, it's, it's like signing a player from the championship. You can't ever be certain that they're going to perform. We've seen countless players who've come from scoring a lot of goals in the championship and not quite managed to repeat that in the Premier League. So we all wanted Grady to do well because he was a youth product and you always want a youth product to do well. But we didn't know. He wasn't nailed on to come into that team and repeat the exact form he had, he had done last season at a lower level for West Brom. So I think there's two reasons to be angry. On the one hand, yeah, it would have been nice to have given him a go on the left wing. But I personally, if you're very brutally pragmatic about it, think, well, you know, if we'd sold Rice, you're looking at a big hole there in the squad. But if you sell Grady, well, you've just listed a load of players who have played there. Yeah, they might not have played to to the best of their ability, but they're all players who can play there and on their day can be very good players, right? But I guess there's a broader thing, which is, number one, West Ham do not want to go back to the bad old days of the Kearns family and Terry Brown, where we just seem to sell every youth player that we developed and brought through. That's depressing. And this looked like a, a turn back to that. But also, it's just like, you think, this is just, uh, you know, evidence of how badly mismanaged we've been for years now. Because... Of course, the club feel like they overspent and wasted money by hiring Pellegrini and giving him the money to sign players who didn't really work out. But that's all their fault. The chickens are coming home to roost now and they're just trying to cover their asses and limit their losses. And they're doing that by selling off the family silver. So it might or might not make a big difference to our performance on the pitch. Only time will tell. Grady might go and flop at West Brom. You just don't know. I disagree. I, I, don't, I don't think he'll be a flop. He definitely won't well, be a flop. Well, I don't so. know. I, I'm not saying... <laughs> no, I'm not saying he will be a flop, okay, right? Okay, fair, yeah. I'm not saying he'll be a flop. I'm just saying nobody... People are reacting it like we've sold Declan Rice. Whereas Declan Rice is a, an England international. He's played a lot of games for West Ham. He's consistently been our best player for, I'd say, two seasons now. You know... And to lose him would be such a huge blow because we know he is unequivocally our best player, right? Grady was a player that we were all hopeful was going to be good, but we didn't know, right? Now, I don't, I'm gutted that we sold him, but, it, you know, Felipe Anderson could have a good season on the left. Even Yarmolenko can play out there. For now, Lanzini, as you said, even Antonio 
there's a lot of players who might be able to do a job for us down the left. But what I'm saying is it's not just about that. It's about the principle. It's a sim The sale of Grady Diangana is a symbol and that's a really depressing place to be. And there's also the fact that we sold one of our best young players to a newly promoted team. But I'll say I disagree with you a little bit, Sam, because Diangana had five years left on his contract. It was in January 2019 when he signed that six-year deal. So if you're, if you're really desperate for cash... Why not loan him out again and ask for like a five million loan fee? Something yeah. just try and be a bit smart, think outside the box, something along those lines. Because selling him for eighteen million and twenty percent salon fee, yeah, it's all right. But you could have got more for a player of his potential. The thing is, right, you mentioned wingers we have, but if you look at it and you reflect on last season, how many have been consistent? Andrei Malenko, great, they scored that winning goal against Chelsea, which effectively kept us up. But he's been injury prone. Antonio has been great for us but he's more striker now. Fournals, God bless Fournals. He's played left back, right back, centre back, centre <laughs> mid. He's played everywhere. Yeah. And he struggled. Um, Anderson, as you mentioned on Nima's podcast, he's just, he struggled as well. Lanzini struggled. So in the great Diagana, there was someone who thought, oh, great, a young player, loads of pace. Grady Diagana on the left wing, Bowen on the right wing, Fournals in number 10, Alaire Antonio up front. That screams goals to me. And now Moyes doesn't have that luxury. Yeah, no, listen, I agree. Don't get me wrong. I am gutted that we sold him. I don't think we should have sold him. Yeah. But I'm saying, why are we... My big problem is why are we in a position where we are reduced to just selling um, yeah. our play... Like, the first player that a bid comes in for. If I'm a manager of another club now, right, I f I'm thinking, I'm knowing, if you fancy, let's say, it's a Diop, right, yeah. but you think, it's a Diop... In some games, he's looked Champions League level. In others, he's looked Championship level. But he's worth a punt. But I reckon if we go in, they were quoting, they quoted United 70 million, I think, last summer, right? Uh, I, I know that if I'm if I'm Man United and I need like a backup centre-back, I know that if I go in now with 20 million offer for Issa Diop with a few add-ons, Sullivan's taking it. If you think well, Haller was pretty rubbish last season for West Ham, but the season before he was absolutely fantastic in the Bundesliga and the Europa League, you know what? I want to go with a cheapy, a cheeky twenty million uh, quid offer. But I'll tell them it can rise to forty-five depending on him scoring a thousand goals, <laughs> right? And then go, I'll do it because they'll take it. Yeah. Because they're acting like they're in fruit. They're acting like we would expect them to act if we'd been relegated. But we didn't get relegated. We survived. Yeah. Reward David Moyes. Have another punt. And all this stuff about, well, we've lost money. You sat Pellegrini. You know, listen, you got Pellegrini. You hired the wrong manager on the wrong contract. You did the wrong deal. And that's all on you. And now it falls to you. If you're going to manage this club properly, you need to reinvest to make good on the failures of the past. Back David Moyes. He kept us up. We would have expected to have been taking silly offers from small clubs for people like Grady Diangana. We thought that's what awaited us if we got relegated. Moyes and the lads did an incredible job. And it's no wonder that Mark Noble and the other players have spoken out against this because they poured their heart and soul into keeping us up, right, um, after lockdown. And I thought they played fantastic and it reflected really well on David Moyes and the impact he's had on the morale amongst the players. And they think, what was that for? You're behaving like we got relegated anyway. And and we're hearing all of this stuff from various club mouthpieces about, you know, well, well, you know, what about COVID? Listen, you know, you've got every, we're the only club in the Premier League 
right, as we are now, and what is it, the 8th of September, to have not made a single signing, right? Everyone's buying plays. Everyone is finding a way, apart from West Ham, a club who have a 60,000 sellout stadium every week outside of lockdown and are still getting the hundreds of millions of Sky money every year. I mean, it, it makes no sense, does it? Our Premier League football hasn't even been kicked yet. And once again, West Ham are on the news for all the wrong reasons. And touching on the recruitment, it's been poor for quite some time. As you mentioned again on numerous podcasts, there's just been that tendency to sign so many attacking players but neglect defence. I mentioned on the piece for the Athletic not, not long ago that the board have hardly spent any money on defence. I think they only, a lot of money they spent was on Issa Diop, the 22 million. Apart from that, it's just been free, free transfers, loans, just hardly been any money. And that's why defence was so poor. Well, that's why it's been so poor for quite some time. And forgetting Diagana, look at the sales of Jordan Hugo to Norwich and Alban Ajeti to Celtic. They cost, what, the best part of 18 million. Got peanuts for them. And we're paying to get rid of Roberto. Yeah, Roberto, you know what I mean? <laughs> we're paying the other club. We're paying his wages. There is a sneering attitude, I feel, amongst the, the, the people at the top of the club towards the fans. Um... They are they are obviously taking a, a, a employing a policy of we won't comment, we won't engage. That is so arrogant. You are not the queen, right? That you are not the queen who has long since decided that she would not engage with the media directly, right? Because she is the queen of bloody England, right? You are running <laughs> what is effectively yes, it's a business, but it's a community entity. That's what a football club is. It's a community entity, right? It lives and dies on the basis of the fans. If the fans go, the club doesn't exist, right? So, yes, you are taking over a business, but don't for a moment think that you can adopt a policy like an aloof chief executive might. They're running a, a, a tech, a, a billion-pound tech industry out of San Francisco who don't really have to care about their customers because there'll always be more coming along, right? You need to engage with your fans. You need to have a dialogue with your fans. You need to respect the opinion of the fans, Right. This kind of arrogance where you are mismanaging willy-nilly and blaming everyone other than yourself. So you'll blame a manager. Well, we bought, we got a manager, Pellegrini, but he wasted all our money. That is your fault. That means you are bad at running a football club because you are making the wrong appointments. You are uh, investing in the wrong people and you are putting them on deals that make it almost impossible for you to get rid of them, even when they fail, without paying them huge sums of money. This is like 101 stuff in any business. And then you get people like Jim White, bizarrely, who, who I don't know what his relationship is with Sullivan, but it's very peculiar that he would go on a station that is aimed entirely at fans itself and take sides with this kind of corporate overlord against the fans, the people who basically define the football club, its supporters, the people who understand the football club better than any owner or outside broadcaster ever could and start saying that the fans are wrong to criticize him i mean it it's like a, it's like soviet russia it's yeah. like soviet russia <laughs> right this is like north korea it's like how dare they how dare they complain about the the great and glorious leader harry's sponsors you irons a podcast brought to you by the athletic Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors. And they've now released their sharpest ever blades and added a new lubricating strip for an even closer, more comfortable shave. The best part? They haven't raised the prices, so replacement blades are still as little as £1.75 each. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading 
five blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. I use them and I have done for quite a few years, long before they were sponsoring a podcast that I hosted. That's a true fact. I've got the documentation to prove it. And my skin is soft and nick free. As a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash uirons right now. That's harrys.com slash the letter U and then irons, I-R-O-N-S. You know that. Obviously, the next big thing that happened after this deal and all the fans reacted so angrily on social media was Mark Noble the night before our game against Bournemouth tweeting that he was, when he said, as captain of the club, I am gutted, sad and angry about the sale of Grady. Pretty big statement from the club captain. What what do you think? Do you think that was just, do you think there was anything significant or it was just a moment of anger and he couldn't help himself? Or do you think he's going something deeper and trying to get involved in a revolt against the club's owners? I just think it was a bit of frustration of no major signings, the team narrowly avoiding relegation. There's been no improvement in terms of like bringing the left back or covering in the forward areas or I'm plus to sell of Diagana just once again making him think like what on earth is happening at this club? Everyone knows Martin Noble is Mr. West Ham. When you think of West Ham, you think of Martin Noble. And in my opinion, Sam, I'm happy the tweet is still there. I'm happy the mm. tweet is still up. Usually in a, in a scenario like this, the tweets get deleted like half an hour half an hour after, but it's still there. And, you know, for him to say, gutted, angry at the son of Dian Ghana, and then for Sebastian Allaire, Declan Rice, Arthur Masuaku to also like the tweet. For me, I'm like, I'm like, credit to you guys. And obviously on Twitter, last Friday, a lot of West Ham fans were like, hallelujah, about time someone on the playing staff, you know, on the playing squad rather, said something. And for me, I feel like the one where I took a lot of notice was Jack Rocha. Because Grey Diagana posted an image on Instagram saying like, thank you West Ham for your, for your help over the years and for all your support. And Jack Rocha wrote, go and do your thing at a club that respects you. And I thought, wow. Maybe they all feel that way. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. they all feel. And that's what I'm saying. There is a, there is a real kind of aloof and sneering attitude um, that I feel is displayed by Sullivan and um, Brady in particular. You see it in the things that Brady writes in her column where she's got stuck into players who are still at the club. Uh, Sullivan's done the same thing. They get stuck into the players, right? They are sneering about the fans. They're disrespectful of managers. I think they uh, are in their own little bubble where they think everything they do is right. And the only reason it doesn't work out in perfect success is because of other people's failures around them, never taking any responsibility for it themselves. You have to ask yourselves, though, you know, they didn't pull up any trees at Birmingham when they ran that club. And I don't think there's many Birmingham fans, you know, who, who are missing them. And they repeated the trick at West Ham. You'll struggle to find any fans apart from a few sycophants who seem, you know, so pleased to have, I don't know, been given a ride in the helicopter or have the mobile phone number of Karen Brady that they're willing to tow the party line, which is sort of embarrassing for those involved. But, you know... You, they have to be able to reflect on their own record in football, realise that there has been a pattern whereby they have alienated everyone around them and never achieved any on-field success and think maybe we could change the way we do things. Because if you don't, you know, who was it who said the definition of of, of insanity 
is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect and expect a different result. Well, that's what this lot have been doing for years in football at Birmingham and West Ham. Do you think it's going to be a bad thing for us going into the season, though, that the, that the players have sort of spoken out in this way against the, the regime at the club? Do you think that that will affect morale? Do you think that the mood in the camp, do you think it reflects a, a bad mood in the camp going into season, Rache? I think it does, sadly. And we saw it in the 5-3 defeat against Bournemouth. In that match, the players looked like, can't be arsed, really. Like, the defending was poor. It wasn't particularly great on the offensive end. Players were making mistakes. Poor Ben Johnson, he had a terrible match. I feel I feel like that was Ben Johnson's little mini protest at the Agana yeah. Circus. He had yeah, a poor it, it, was, it was pulled after 20 minutes, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, after about 25 minutes, Moyes took him off. So, yeah. And, and the thing is, right, what's... Like I posted um, a season preview this morning and although I've been so optimistic on previous podcasts, I thought to myself, like, all the momentum we gained from last season, end of last season, is pretty much been wiped out now through the sale of Dian Ghana. A lot of fans feel like we're favourites for relegation, especially the fact that we still haven't signed anyone. Obviously, been linked, we made a bid for James Tarkovsky. But when you think about it, what does he really want to come to West Ham considering the, the you know the atmosphere at the club right now? Unable to sell important players, well, not important players, out of form players rather. It's just not looking good. And bear in mind, after Newcastle, after Newcastle game, it's a tough schedule. Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester, Tottenham, Liverpool, Man City. I mean, it, it could be a case where West Ham have only had one win in the opening seven matches. Yeah. Well, that'll be a familiar scenario anyway. I mean, we've got, we've we've got, we've been slow starters for as long as I can remember. Really, what I would say is, obviously, you know, I've expressed my anger about the board, and I think everything that's bad at West Ham is a result of their mismanagement, their incompetence, and their arrogant attitude. However, I would say this: if the players are not performing to the best of their ability in response to their mate being sold. I would say that that is unprofessional. Yes, I sympathise with you because we all would have liked to have seen Grady stay at the club and succeed. But I would also say you're professionals. You owe it to yourselves and the fans and the manager to play at your very best, irrespective of what's going on off the field. You, you know, you can't hide behind something like, oh, well, they sold my mate, so I'm down in tools. I, I would I would really, if, if that's the... If that's the way we go into the season, I will be angry. And although I do blame the the um, the owners, I don't think that however bad the owners are, it can possibly justify the players not doing their absolute best. Because we've seen what they can do at their best. They did it. They pulled it out of the bag for the final games in the running after lockdown. So we know how well these players can play when their attitude is right. I really hope they're not going to use this off-field drama as an excuse to not have the right attitude when the season starts. Yeah, I totally agree. And for the to show about togetherness, we saw toward the end of last season, you know, the, the important win against Chelsea, the spirited draw at Old Trafford. That's all togetherness we need to show. And like, come 5pm on Saturday after the Newcastle game, at least give the fans some sort of encouragement about, you know what, it's bad that Diogana's left, it's bad we still haven't signed anyone, but here's why you should, be, you should feel encouraged for the season. Let's show some defiance. Let's yeah. let's respond to struggles off the field by saying, well, we don't care about all of that because we're West Ham and we're a good team. And they are a good team. In fact, I would say the team that we ended the season with should be good enough to have a decent mid-table finish, you know, irrespective of whether we sign players or not, right? If you take out the Roberto period in which we gave away a number of points, right, 
then West Ham would have finished mid-table last season with the team we had. And that was with a team that for half the season didn't have Suchek and Bowen in it, who now look to be arguably our two best players outside of Rice, right? So actually, of course, all fans want a club to make signings. There is no team in the Premier League that couldn't be strengthened in places. And of course, we could do with strengthening all over the field in the first team and in the deeper squad. But I would say that there's been investment in this squad over the last few years and that we have got a decent set of players that, if the attitude is right, are still capable of performing well. And and my one hope about all of this is David Moyes, because as you pointed out a lot, the fan, the, the players seem to really like David Moyes. He seems a, a, a man who's able to motivate them, get the best out of certain lads there. And... I, I'm grateful for the fact that Moyes has yet to speak out or step into all of this drama surrounding the sale of Grady Diangana and stuff because it suggests to me that I'm sure he's pissed off about losing a player but that he's staying focused on getting the best out of the players he has got. The moment he starts making excuses and saying, oh, the, the owners are stitching me up here, that's when the whole thing will fall apart. So I just hope that... Mo I think Moyes is our hope of keeping the team focused and trying to make them ignore the off-field drama. Yeah, I mean, obviously we saw that to an extent last season when there was like a few protests and he still united the team to, you know, still do well. But I, I can picture there being be a scenario this, this season where, you know, performances aren't going well, team's not playing well, and then like Moyes is being used as some sort of scapegoat, like, oh, he's not good enough, tactics are poor. But the simple fact is, if it's still the case that West Ham haven't signed anyone, I can I can see that being a scenario this season at some point. And I, ho I hope I'm proven wrong because... As we both mentioned, Moyes is a really, really good guy. He's done well in, in the, you know, in what he's been given. The second time, Mark's in to try to keep West Ham up, converting Antonio into a clinical goal scorer. The way Declan Rice is growing into a leader, the emergence of uh, German Gekki and Ben Johnson, and just giving young players a chance. We never saw that under Pellegrini, so hope. And, and also, we haven't mentioned this: uh, the return of Stuart Pearce. That's a great addition to his backroom yeah. stuff. So yeah. he's making all the right, well, doing all the right things. Just hope he's he's backed at some point in this window. I would want him to be going to Mark Noble and Jack Wilshire and all these other lads who were speaking out on Twitter and going, listen, obviously you're disappointed. I am too. But, you know, we're, we're still we're still capable of being a good team. We haven't ripped out the soul of the team. We've lost a promising young player, but we have to move on and just keep doing our best now. Um, and stop thinking in terms of, oh, it's going to be a relegation season. Listen, let's get it right. Grady is a great player, I think, or had the potential to be a great player. But, you know, we didn't have Grady last season. We didn't have him in the running. And yet we still performed like a team who looked like they were capable of finish finishing 10th in the Premier League next year, right? Without Grady, right? And without Tarkovsky or anyone else coming in, okay? So I'm just trying to look at the positives. I want us to sign players. I, I wish we hadn't sold Grady. But at the same time, if we if we allow ourselves to start believing that now it's all doom and gloom and there's no hope, I've seen a lot worse West Ham squads than this over the years. A lot worse. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is a squad. I've seen squads where you just know you're going down, right? They're like squads where you go into season, you're only strikers Ian Dowie, right? And you're like, you know, we're just not going to score goals. Oh, we know <laughs> Exactly. If you go into a season and you haven't got anyone capable of scoring goals, then you know you're going down. And I look at this team just as it is, and I think, well, between Suchek, Antonio and Bowen, those three alone 
are going to, you know, contribute between them, you know, you'd hope, uh, 20 goals, yeah. you know. And, and, and so straight away, you sort of think, this is a team that's got a chance. You know, um, we're, we're, we're worrying about our defence, which is good. Because you can go in and, and you can train a defence and you can get organised and you can get players, you know, coached to an extent that they can, you know, prevent the opposition from scoring if they concentrate hard enough in a game. But without goal scorers, you've got no hope. That is true, that is true. I'll, I'll say very quickly, uh, in Moise's programme notes before the Bournemouth game, he said it's time for everyone to step up. It's time, you know, United and, and compete higher at the table. And I feel he didn't he didn't mention any names, but I feel like that certainly applies to the likes of Cresswell, Fredericks, Lanzini and Felipe Anderson because providing they're still at the club after the window closes on October 5th, they need to step up big time. But, but would you not say there's a, there's a difference between those players? Like with Antonio and Lanzini, to, not Antonio, sorry, Anderson and Lanzini, it seems to me that these are players with... Um, tons of ability, but whose attitude is not always spot on, right? Whereas you look at Cresswell, I've got no problem with Cresswell's attitude. I think he's been a great servant to the club. I think the, the problem with him is, is that his ability is in decline as he gets older. And so we need to replace him. So it's two different things, isn't it? Yeah, we need to replace him. And as we mentioned, Rico Henry would be an, an ideal replacement mm. so that, Cresswell could be the a squad player the and Rico, yeah, back is it, up. Is it is it true that um that Moyes is still trying to make his mind up on whether or not he thinks Rico Henry is good enough? Yeah, he's still he's still deciding on that one. To be honest, in terms of left back and centre half, the priority for Moyes is centre half. He wants mm. to bring a central defender in because he's of opinion that Cresswell and Masuaku is decent for the time being. And obviously, with Stuart Pearce coming back, he was former left back for the club. He could perhaps yeah. work on their defensive end and get them to improve. Yeah. And obviously, as I mentioned, it has been a second bid for Tarkovsky worth up to 27 million. And if we do get him, in my opinion, West Ham automatically become a top 10 team. I'm saying it right now. If we get Tarkovsky, they become a top 10 team. If you think about uh, Virgil van Dijk prior to him joining Liverpool, we were a good team, but we just need that calm presence, that leader in defence. And I feel like that's what West Ham's lacking right now. Obon is and really good. And you think he's that man, do you? Yeah, you rate I him feel, highly. I rate him highly. I think he's that guy. Because Issa Diop is good, but for me, he's just too inconsistent. He is, he'll, yeah. he'll chip in with a goal every now and then. But we need that leader, that presence alongside Obonna. And we'll see a lot, lot of mistakes if able to get Tarkovsky this season. Uh, what are the chances? What are you hearing about that deal? What are the chances of us completing it? Well, it's not looking promising. <laughs> it's not looking promising <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's not looking promising right now, for sure. And also, Leicester City are also interested in Tarkovsky. Mm. And we're led to believe that Burnley value Tarkovsky at 50 million. Apparently, he's got a release million, yeah. clause for 50 million. But yeah, the, the, has, the, but... the, this agent, what Salthouse, who seems to effectively be our sort of head scout, head of recruitment director Sport of director, football, yeah, yeah uh, is involved and, and and has let it be known that you know a deal can be done for less than that fifty. But um, you've got to say that Leicester, first of all, seem like they've got pockets than us, and second of all, if you are Tarkovsky and you're looking at a choice between Leicester and West Ham, let's be honest, you're going to Leicester, aren't you? Do you know why Leicester have deep pockets? Because their model is really good. I think I'm right in saying in, in Pellegrini's first year, we finished level on points with Leicester. We both, I think they finished ninth and we finished tenth. Mm. And they've sold Ben Chimwell to Chelsea for a lot of money. Mm. They were invested. They have a really good model. And if there's a club we should aspire to be like, it should be Leicester. Great. Because right now, everything's going well for them. The selling players, you've got a goal scorer in the pitch in Jeremy Vardy. That's the model we should follow, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, look, they sold um, Maguire for an immense yep. profit last year. And, uh, you know, they went on and had a fantastic season. 
You know, they, they just bounced back from that. He was arguably their top player the year before. They sold him. They replaced him. They cracked on, you know. Um, but it's a club that seems to, you know, they lost, tragically, they lost their owner. They've still cracked on. It's a club with, like, stability in it. It is frustrating when you look at these other clubs. It's frustrating when you wake up and see that, you know, Everton have just signed James Rodriguez, you know. And, and I felt that a year or two ago, Everton were a club that we were competing with for signings and competing with for position in the highest, you know, the top half of the league. And now they kind of totally sprinted out ahead of us. It, it's very frustrating. Uh, if we don't get Tarkovsky, who are the alternatives? Are we look? We, I mean, you know, I, I think Chris Smalling, considering the budgets we're working to and considering the great season he's just had at Roma, you know, isn't that a player we should be looking at? Yeah, I agree. He's a very good player, but I'd imagine someone like Chris Morley who'd have aspirations to play for England again. And you mm. wonder if he were to come to West Ham, would he be able to achieve that? Mm. So, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like we should, we should, it would be great if you have, a, if you can sign a player who has an impact like an Adam Webster at, at Brighton or mm. like a Tarkovsky at Burnley. That's the sort of defender we need who's just mm. reliable. We don't have to worry about them making defensive mm. errors all the time as we've seen with Issa Diop. That's the sort of presence we need, as I mentioned in defence, because the game on Saturday, for Bournemouth's second goal, one of their players literally just ran through like four players and scored. It was yeah. so, te- it was terrible, Sam. It was terrible. Embarrassing. UIONS is brought to you in association with Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. So we have a a question from uh, his at is Madla underscore. And he says, Anderson in number 10, Ralph? Question mark. Anderson number 10, Ralph. Yeah. Uh, It's plausible. I think he has played there a couple of times, hasn't he, under Pellegrini? Um you got to do something with him. You know, we got, we, Moyes has got to find a way. Well, I think we're stuck with, with um, Anderson because we bought him for a lot of money and no one in their right mind is going to take a gamble on him now. So what we need to do is try our hardest to bring out the best in him. We know it's there because in his first season, he got 10 goals, 10 assists. He had a brilliant run in the team where he looked like he was going to be fantastic. So, he hasn't declined, so he hasn't lost that completely. We just need to find a way of bringing out the best. and Maybe a change of position might help him. I don't know. I mean, I would say in that number 10 role, four nails would be my preferred choice, but it's plausible, isn't it? It is plausible. The last match I saw Anderson play really well was Moyes' first game in charge. In that 4-0 win against Bournemouth. Yeah. But I can't remember the last time I was like, you know, Anderson played really good. So, mm. in my opinion, bench is more, more preferable. <laughs> And it comes to Anderson. Mm. Uh, we have another question from Greg, who's at his Hughesy 2K9. He says, what would be your vision for the club? You take that one, Rashane. My vision for the club would be to have a sporting director who would help David Moyes in terms of identifying transfers so the pressure's not solely on him or perhaps the owners to bring in players. Definitely integrating more youth players into the youth into the first team because 
it would be great if we could play with us for a number of years, but it is a great model to sell players on for a lot of money. As we've seen with Leicester and Ben Chinwell, who's went for like the best part of 50 million. And, and just having the playing identity, because we saw last season, the free-flowing football we're playing, and you want to go to a match and although, let's say you don't win or perhaps you draw, you want to be impressed with the football. So those are my top three visions for West Ham moving forward. Yeah, I just think that West Ham have got to have a stronger sense of who they are and where they want to be. And I think, you know, there are there are clubs... I feel that at times the owner and some of the fans have thought, well, why can't we be, you know, Manchester United, right? Um, or a lot of people look at Tottenham because they're our big rivals and neighbours and think, well, look at what Tottenham are doing. They've got in the Champions League. Why can't we do that? And I think you need to put those thoughts out of your head, right? And have a little bit more of an incremental approach and look at clubs like Leicester, maybe even clubs like Southampton and sort of think there's a little bit more stability. They do a little, there's a lot less drama and they rely on a mixture of youth development and very astute signings that they can usually, if they do sell on, they sell for big profit. And I sort of think, let's just be a bit realistic about where we are for now in the pecking order, solidify ourselves as a decent, stable hopefully mid-table Premier League team. And then, after a few years of that, then start looking further. Yeah, spot on, Sam. And the last question here from, I believe his last name is pronounced Aaron Deans. If I pronounced it wrong, I apologise, Aaron. He says, Rashane, I know you're one of the calmest voices in regard to West Ham and especially Declan Rice. After seeing what transpired last week, do you still feel confident in keeping Rice and the direction of the club? He's right about that. You are a calm voice, mate. You're a, so you're a sobering voice. And as I've said before... You're sort of like a West Ham therapist to me because whenever <laughs> I speak to you, I tend to feel slightly better about things. Although not so much this week, but it's been a tough week. Yeah, yeah, it has been a very tough week. Both of us, Sam, for both of us. Um, in terms of Declan Rice, it, the board would be absolutely out of their minds to sell him in this window, following on for what happened in Diagana. The fact that Rice is on the contract, that works in West Ham's favour, so they can rebuff any offers. But... I, I, obviously, uh, my colleagues uh, Liam and Simon wrote a piece about right now Chelsea priorities getting a goalkeeper in. What situation could change in terms of them improving their defense? And I just wonder whether Chelsea look at the situation and think, let's just test the waters. Let's put in like a fifty million bid, a bid rather, a forty million bid, and see what they say. Obviously, we know Declan Rice is worth more than that, eighty million at the very least, because he's just so important to West Ham. But they could do that. So. As much as I'm optimistic and what and Declan and I stay in, you just you just don't know this board. You can't <laughs> you know, write it up. Yeah, Unless I mean, last week, last week, you 100% convinced me he was going nowhere. This week, like I said earlier in this podcast, any club, the Sharks are circling West Ham and they think you can put in a cheeky bid, you can put in a bid for half of what we think they want and just see, just see. Because I know the way that, David Sullivan seems to operate anyway. You know, they'll, yeah, they'll pay us 30 or 40 million, but they'll try and get out in the press that we've received 80 million because there'll be a, a number of add on clauses that we might or might not get years in the future. And he'll think, and then what we'll actually have to reinvest is 20 million, you know. Um, that's, that's the sort of deal that we're terrified of. And also, what lots and lots of people are really worried about is it being left to the last minute on transfer deadline day and um, them selling him late and then claiming that there just wasn't enough time. He wanted to go, we had to sell him, but there wasn't enough time to sign a replacement. That's the worst case scenario. 
But it's a bit like watching Trump run America. Is that every day, <laughs> every day you wake up as an American, I'm sure, and think nothing would surprise me now. The things that we used to think were unthinkable that no president could do, he now does them. And, you know, he, he tests how far patience can be can be stretched. And I feel that that's what Sullivan and Brady do with West Ham. They're like, their attitude is, yeah, we'll sell Declan Rice. What are they going to do? What are you going to do? Stop turning up. I doubt it. We're selling out 60,000 every week. There's more where you mugs came from. That's what, <laughs> that, that's what they'll think. And, yeah. and the tragedy is they're probably right. You know, West Ham have a huge and extremely loyal fan base and we'll turn up either way. And so they think, I don't care. I can take a bit of bad press. I've had it all my career. Yeah, we'll sell Declan Rice. We'll get 40 million quid in. We'll buy that reserve left back from Brentford. That'll shut the fans up. <laughs> That's the worst case scenario. Should we do um, predictions for the Newcastle game for a laugh? Yeah. <laughs> go on, you go first. Uh, well, it seems like we could be without Thomas Tuchek for that match because uh, he was uh, in close contact with uh, Masseur at Czech Republic. He, he got positive. a massage from a yeah. COVID masseuse, didn't he? Yeah, Matter. and so he could he could miss this match as a result of that. So it won't be our, our strongest lineup. So I'm going for a draw, especially due to the fact that Newcastle signed Callum Wilson, who's always scores he against always West Ham scores. as well. Yeah, he was a bit cheeky in his interview as well. Because he smirked and went, well, I'm glad the first games against West Ham, I always score against them. And for that reason, because that angered me, I'm going to say we will win this 2-0 with two goals from Jared Bowen. Another prediction for the season is that I think by Christmas, Jared Bowen would have won an England cap. Oh, yeah, that's a good shout. I think he deserves mm. it. Oh, just yeah. a, a, a quick plug. There's going to be a piece on Jared Bowen's days at Hereford coming out on the site at some point. We're either Thursday or Friday. And yeah, so that's one to look out for for listeners. Fantastic. We'll be back next week with our reaction to the Newcastle game. Let's finger, keep our fingers crossed, keep behind the team. And um, remember, ladies and gents, there's only one Samasia Boo.